Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. Welcome to The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 208 of The Informed Catholic, episode 208. We are now in the season of Advent, so this is the second week of Advent, Monday of the second week of Advent. So before we begin, please subscribe and share my podcast if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a great job please it would be a great encouragement to me to continue to do this so please subscribe and share it would let Spotify and Anchor those are the ones I chiefly produce my uh, podcast through and it, will, it would let all the other podcast platforms know that people actually like this the more numbers the more this podcast uh, gets distributed so now that we got that through, let's begin the readings for this Monday, the second week of Advent. So let's begin with our Advent prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. Your salvation comes quickly. Why with grief are you consumed? For sorrow has stricken you. I will save you, fear not, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Drop dew, you heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain the just one. O God, who gladdens us by the annual expectation of our redemption, grant that we, who now receive with joy your only begotten Son as our Redeemer, may behold him without fear when he comes as our judge, even the same Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. All right, so now we're going to begin the readings. I think that it's important to uh, stay close to our Lord as much as possible for... Um, for Advent, because it um, it draws us closer. So these readings that the Church has picked through the influence of the Holy Spirit help us stay close, and I think that's important because we the more we we uh, follow Christ liturgically, the more we will grow spiritually and we become more like Him. So. Let's begin with the opening antiphon, which is from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 10, and it's also combined with Isaiah 35, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it in the distant lands. Behold, our Savior will come. You need no longer fear. And the prayer is, may our prayer of petition rise before you, we pray, O Lord that with the purity unblemished, we, your servants, may come as we desire to celebrate the great mystery of the incarnation of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, verse 1 to 10. The desert and the parched land will exult. The steep will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers and rejoice with joyful song. The glory of Lebanon will be given to them, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, 
they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the hands that are feeble. Make firm the knees that are weak. Say to those whose hearts are frightened, Be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then will the, the lame leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. Streams will burst forth in the desert, the rivers in the steep. The burning sands will become pools, the thirsty ground springs of water. The abode where jackals lurk will be a marsh for the reed and the papyrus. A highway will be there, <clears throat> called the holy way. No one unclean may pass over it, nor fools go astray on it. No lion will be there, no beast of prey go up to be met upon it. It is for those with a journey to make, and on it the redeemed will walk. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return, and enter Zion singing. Crowned with everlasting joy, they will meet with joy and gladness. Sorrow and mourning will flee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> now the response to the psalm is from Psalm 85. And the response is, our God will come to save us. I will hear what God proclaims. The Lord, for he proclaims peace to his people. Near indeed is, is his salvation to those who fear him. Glory dwelling in our land. Our God will come to save us. Kindness and truth shall meet. Justice and peace shall kiss. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and justice shall look down from heaven. Our God will come to save us. The Lord himself will give his benefits. Our land shall yield its increase. Justice shall walk before him, and salvation along the way of his steps. Our God will come to save us. Alleluia, alleluia. Behold, the King will come, the Lord of the earth, and he himself will lift the yoke of our captivity. A reading from the Holy Gospel of St. Luke. Praise and glory to you, O Lord. One day Jesus was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was with him and for healing. And some men brought on a, on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They were trying to bring him in and set him in his presence, but not finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the tiles into the middle in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, As for you, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to ask themselves, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them in reply, What are you thinking in your hearts? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, Rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your stretcher and go home. He stood up immediately before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Then astonishment seized them all, and they glorified God and struck with awe. They said, we have seen incredible things today. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so I read to you some of Fulton Sheen's writings, his meditations on uh, our Lord from his book called The Life of Christ. And I also read some of Romano Gardini's uh, meditations in his book called The Lord. And now I'm going to read from Jim Bishop. Jim Bishop's most famous book is called The Day Christ Died. He didn't read. He didn't really write a lot of books, but he wrote, I know, The Day Lincoln Was Shot. Um, you know, that was uh, another of one of his famous historical narratives. Um, in his passage, uh, Jim Bishop, he has a book called The Day Christ Died. It's not the passion I'm going to read to you. He has a portion called The Background. And with that, he focuses, he meditates on the nativity. And that's the part I'm going to read. I'm going to read a portion of that one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, you know, I'm just going to read some of it. And then we'll um, come back again and we'll uh, pick up where we left off. All right. So this is the part here I want to read to you. Jesus was born about the time of the winter solstice in 6 BC. The Messiah was born in a cave in Bethlehem, the only child of Mary. There are two aspects of this birth, the natural and the supernatural. Each is so thoroughly integrated with the other that like a two-colored garment, it is impossible to pull the thread of one for examination without destroying the other raiment. Mary was of the house of David. So was her husband, a bearded young carpenter named Joseph. It is probable that Mary was between 12 and 13 years of age when she was betrothed. This was the custom of the times. When she was married, she may have been 14. It is hardly likely that she was older. In the absence of any evidence, biblical or historical, to the contrary, it may be assumed that this marriage followed the Hebrew norm. The parents of Joseph sought the parents of Mary, and the preliminary conversations were held. The bridegroom-elect may have been between 18 and 24 years of age. Certainly he had finished his apprenticeship as a carpenter, otherwise he could not have supported a wife. In spite of royal lineage in both families, it is doubtful that if a dowry was discussed because these were poor branches in the Davidic line. The probability is that Joseph had seen Mary in company with her parents and felt attracted to her. Then when Joseph's elders began to talk of marriage to him, no doubt he expressed a preference for Mary. 
The conversations would result from that. As soon as both families were in agreement, the Quotishan, that is the, the betrothal ceremony, would take place. It was, a, it was as binding as a wedding and had the same finality. Once the betrothed contract was made, the only way in which the bridegroom could be rid of the bride was through divorce. The Quitishan in Judea entitled the couple to sexual relations, even though each must live with his parents until the wedding ceremony. In Galilee, where Joseph and Mary lived, and in other parts of Palestine, a state of sexual purity was maintained until after the wedding, which occurred a year after the Quetishan. If the bridegroom died in the interim, the betrothed woman was considered to be his legal widow. On the other hand, if the betrothed girl was unfaithful in some period, she was punished as an adulteress. The time from engagement to marriage was spent building a small home or renting one and furnishing it. The Nasuin or wedding, uh, wedding consisted of the solemn reception of the bride into the home her betrothed had prepared for her. Now, sometime between the betrothal and the marriage, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel in the home of her parents in Nazareth. He said to her, Rejoice, child of grace. The Lord is your helper. You are blessed beyond all women. The young virgin was neither overwhelmed nor pleased by this. She shook with an unknown terror. The angel said, Do not tremble, Mary. You have found favor in the eyes of God. Behold, you are to be a mother and to bear a son and to call him Jesus. He will be great. Son of the Most High will be his title and the Lord God will give to him the throne of, of his father David. He will be king over the house of Jacob forever and to his kingship there will be no end. The Jews had been taught that angels are messengers of God. And in every town up and down the land, it was common for the elders to discuss the historic cases of neighbors who had been visited by angels with either miraculous or disastrous results, depending on whether the spirit was a good one or an evil one. So the visit itself did not frighten the virgin from Galilee. It was the portent of the visit. What was it God wanted? How will this be, Mary said, since I remain a virgin? The angel became specific. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the child to be born will be acclaimed the Holy and Son of God. Note, moreover, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and is now in her sixth month. She was called the barren. Nothing indeed is impossible with God. Mary understood 
fully the extent of her honor. She was to be mother to the Son of God. She did not know how or why, but she would not ask. She had been raised in an atmosphere of filial piety and in deep reverence for all things holy. She knew how to accept and how to obey. Regard me as the humble servant of the Lord, she said. May all that you have said to be fulfilled in me. There was one there was one way in which Mary could prove to herself that what she had heard was not a dream. She left almost at once for a mountain town in Judea to visit her kinsman Elizabeth, wife of a priest named Zechariah. Elizabeth was old, and in spite of many entreaties to God, no baby had been cradled against her warm breast. Unknown to Mary, the same angel had appeared to Elizabeth, and she was indeed in her sixth month. In June, she would give birth to a baby called John, who would someday be referred to as the Baptist, and who would go ahead go ahead of the, the Messiah and preach to the multitudes, baptizing as he went. As Mary came up the walk, her kinswoman, her kinswoman stood in the doorway, and the young one shouted a greeting. Elizabeth felt her baby move sharply and was moved to tears and said, Blessed are you beyond, beyond all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary was dumbstruck. Elizabeth apparently knew more about this than she. How privileged am I, Elizabeth said gravely, to have the mother of my Lord come to visit me. Hear me now, hear me now. as the sound of your greeting fell upon my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Happy is she who believed that what was told to her on behalf of the Lord will be fulfilled. In the shading difference between believing something and being convinced of it, Mary had believed. That, that is, she had listened well to Gabriel's words and understood them and placed credence in them. But, by every, but every time that she thought, I am to be the mother of God, the eight, eight words sounded to her like a blasphemous presumption. Now hearing the words of the graying Elizabeth, who had known little, who had known little Mary, almost from the moment of her birth, she was convinced, doubly convinced, because her kinswoman understood more about the divine interposition than Mary did. In reply, Elizabeth's words of welcome, Mary became lyrical with joy. She held out both hands, standing before the doorstep, and almost, and and almost singing. My soul extols the Lord. My spirit leaps for joy in God my Savior. How graciously he's looked upon his lowly maid. Oh, behold, from this hour onward, age after age, will call me blessed. How sublime is what, how, how, how sublime is what he had done for me. The mighty one whose name is holy. From age to age, he visits those who worship him in reverence. His arm achieves the mastery. He, he routs the haughty and proud of heart. 
He puts down princes from their thrones and exalts the lowly. He fills the hungry with blessings and sends away the rich with empty hands. He's taken by the hand his servant Israel and mercifully kept his faith as he had promised our fathers with Abraham and his posterity forever and, forever and evermore. Mary remained with her old aunt for three months almost until the day of the birth of John. Then the betrothed girl went home. She was now three months pregnant, and the time of her wedding was close. Then Mary told Joseph that she was with child, but told him nothing else. The shock to the carpenter was incalculable. He had grown to love Mary deeply, and she was as positive as any young bridegroom to be that the object of his affection was as innocent as a, as a, as a day old lamb. Mary had been away three months. She returned three months pregnant. I'm going to stop here. <laughs> We're going to pick up, uh, as you can see, that's, that's his way of meditating on it. It's, I'm not saying that this is how we all should do it. We don't have to agree with everything. It, in the, the scriptures gives us, it invites us to meditate on these things. And I think that's important. Let me get back in a few minutes. So I think the way he, he goes deeply into that, the way he, you know, in his book, The Day Christ Died, he, he actually took visits to the Holy Land with his daughter. He wrote this book around maybe 1959, I think. Let me see here. When this book came out. Uh, it was around 1957. He took a trip to the Holy Land. He spoke with archaeologists. He spoke with scholars. He spoke with um, you know, people in museums. He went to archaeological sites. He... Uh, visited Nazareth. He visited Bethlehem. He uh, walked around through the streets of Jerusalem and, you know, spoke to the various different scholars, both, um, none of them had to agree with each other. Scholars, you're never going to get a bunch of scholars agreeing with each other. But the point is, you get a picture. You, It's almost like doing a, a forensic testing. You put together a little bit of this, you put together some of that, you put together, you don't have to agree with the scholars completely. That's something, you know, that wasn't what he was there. He was there basically to try to put together as a layman, a picture of the gospel, you know, of, you know, of the image of Jesus. He was a devout practicing Catholic and he came out with a book that's considered a classic. I think it's a, I, I always find it, this book, very welcoming to read during Lent, um, in a sense. And, you know, you, he's, yes, he, he's a, he's not a priest. He's not a, a, a monk. And, you know, you could definitely read, you know, meditations by saints, um, St. Ignatius Loyola's, his spiritual exercises are definitely something that I think people should look into. 
The idea was that you can use your imagination. God does use the imagination. He can use, he can sanctify it and use it to meditate. The fact is you figure to yourself, what was the culture like back then in Jesus, in, in the days of Jesus? What was it like for someone like Mary and Joseph? What was the, the conditions like for people? Um, what was Nazareth like uh, before Jesus's birth? Um, was the, what was the economy like? What was the lifestyle, you know, like for people? What was, um, you know, how do they survive? You know, what was the age expectancy of most people? What was it like to be a little girl, a woman in the days of, of, uh, of Jesus for Mary, for someone like Mary? What was life like for them? You know, what was, how, how did you get married? How was the engagement? What was the social, what was the social norms, the social con, uh, construction? Um, was it, you know, I mean, most definitely we, we can all say this. It was definitely a man's world and it was definitely ruled by men and women didn't have any rights. We know there weren't any feminists back then or, fe, uh, or suffered chats or whatever you call them, you know, basically, but we know that it was what was life like. We know that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy for a woman. Most definitely was extremely hard, harder probably for women than it is for men and definitely harder for, for poor people in general. And they were occupied by the Romans. So those are things we can, we can paint a picture and we can go through, we can look at records, we can, you know, learn about these things. And he used that to help him paint a picture. Is it accurate? He doesn't say it's accurate, but he uses what was available to him at the time in 1957. Could he have written his book very differently now? Yeah, I would say so, most definitely. But is it going to be any different? No. I think what I like about Jim Bishop's book is that he's he tries not to, you know, he doesn't get into uh, deeply into archaeological records that much. But he, he focuses on it as a meditation, as an exercise, a personal meditation. And I think that's important, you know, to, do, to use that as, a, you know, as a Catholic, we can use our imagination. We can find out from doctors what a, what a crucifixion was like back then. We, you know, we know from archaeological evidence, you can talk to uh, people back then what was the practice? You could, I mean, not back then. I meant you could talk to scholars what they discovered about crucifixions, evidence, writings, as close as possible we can get to get a picture of what a crucifixion was like. And that's what he did with his book. Now, some people disagree. They think that Jesus was probably not, they say he was not born in December 25th. But I don't see what's to stop the fact that it was December 25th. It was, it's a date. I don't think the Holy Spirit would let us wander off um, and get it wrong. I think, I think one thing, you're going to get popular school of thoughts. Uh, Taylor Marshall said this. It's popular to put doubt, to, to, to doubt the historical records. It's popular to doubt the scriptures. It's popular to doubt whether the author wrote it. It's popular to doubt whether Je whether Jesus was really born, you know, in Bethlehem. They you get these scholars that are going to do that all the time. And honestly, I'm going to tell you this. 
They come and they go. Okay? They come and they go. The faith remains. Okay? The faith remains. The faith was here before them. The faith will be here after them. The orthodoxy of the faith is what's important. Scholars are not the faith. Scholars write books and they like to be, and they, they write books so they can get them published, so they can write more books and make more money. All right? There's tons of them that came before them that did, that did this. Okay? And nobody picks up their books. The only ones going to pick up their books is people who search for conf uh, confirmation not to believe in God, not to believe in the validity of the scriptures, not to believe that the scriptures are real. We have tons of people who have always loved the faith. You got saints, you got lay people, and you got more of them, and they all want Christ. They want Jesus. And that's something we can always depend on. So I think it's worth, if you pick it up, you can get it on the Kindle, or you can get it on Amazon, buy the, buy the paperback if you like. And I think you should meditate on it. You, you should look for these books, and it helps. It helps to build up your faith, to build orthodoxy in you, to build more grounded faith. You know, you, you know, you don't have to focus on, like, agree with Jim Bishop completely. But Jim Bishop, I think, and others, like Fulton Sheen, what they're doing is, I don't think it's, uh, when you put it all together, you can get a picture, you get a painting. It, each one of us contribute. We're all members of the body of Christ. And we all, it's a meditative prayer. And meditative prayers are personal. And you can share it. And it helps. It's an exercise. Each one of us are called to know Jesus personally, intimately, and to have a personal relationship with him. And I think that's important. I think that's why when you get something like the rosary, the rosary does that for us. It's a, it's a meditation on the gospel. It's a meditation and a personal journey. All right, I'm going to end it here. And I promise you we'll get back together again for the other half of it. All right, God bless. And let's, oh uh, yeah, I got to stop doing that like that. Let's end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. I've gotten used to not worrying so much about editing too much because I find that, um, well... Let me put it out with warts and all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'll, tr I'll try to improve by, you know, in time. And I think I find that a lot easier just being who I am on this without worrying about um, too much cleanup. Maybe in the future I'll, I'll improve on it. It's just a lot of technical work. And a lot of times I find myself more wasting time doing that Um then getting the word, the word, you know, the workout itself, just putting it out. And I think it's just since I'm not on the air and I don't have a big production, I don't have a producer or an editor or stuff like that. Um, and I fortunately, you know, like I said, I got to go to work and I got to do the stuff. I think it's more like a journal, <laughs> you know, 
with all the misspellings and bad grammar. <laughs> so I think it's easier this way. So God bless.